Since 1973, Tattoo Charlie's has been an established body modification studio in Kentucky. Featuring world-renowned artists and piercers, currently with locations on Preston Highway and in Lexington. A staple point in the tattoo community. Learn more at TattooCharlie's.com. Set up your appointment today at 7904 Preston Highway. Our tattoos are done while you wait. Hey, it's Jeff McNichol down here at Mom's Music, 1900 Melwood Avenue. I was just thinking, when I was a kid, the magic was at Frankfurt Avenue. The Mom's Music at Frankfurt Avenue. And I used to beg people to get a ride down there just to hang out with the guys and see all the cool gear. Now that I'm the owner of this store, it's like a dream come true. We're recreating the magic with the vibe that we used to have at the old store. We're carrying all the gear that you're going to possibly want. We're giving you the outstanding service and personal attention that you deserve. Yeah, so we've got the great guitar shop here. We're carrying USA Fender, USA Gibson, Paul Reed Smith, Gretsch, Jackson, Charvel, anything you could possibly want. We're going to have it for you. Mom's is and always will be Louisville's music store. It's Mark Maxwell at Maxwell's House of Music. Listen, all this stuff is now available to purchase on our website. Check it out at maxwellshouseofmusic.com. We carry all the top brands, like Fender. We got Gibson. We also have basses. We've got ukuleles. We've got drums. We've got sound gear. We've got keyboards. Thank you for tuning into the Metal Forge. I am Mark Jackson and I am your host. The premise of the show is pretty simple awesome interviews and awesome music. If you want to contact me, hit me up at metalforgeradio at gmail.com or visit the website metalforgeradio.com. And now, let's get this show on the road. What's going on, Metalheads? You're listening to the Metal Forge and I'm your host, Mark Jackson. Thank you all for tuning in today, where it is a week removed. From uh, Halloween, you know, awesome month of metal, right? I've got Legendary on the show today. Uh, in particular, the vocalist and uh, guitarist Vidar the Silent. They're from Pittsburgh. Total awesome fucking scene up there. I've discovered so many bands from that area just this past year. From being able to interview Deb from Lady Beast, Vidar, fucking killer scene. Check it out. You're going to be hearing some more today with Legendary. You've seriously got to check this out because it's fucking awesome. The epic power metal, fantasy metal stuff. I used to not be a big fan of it, but as I've gotten older, I've kind of, uh, and I've always been into D&D and stuff like that and fantasy uh, books and stuff. Just never really got into it with music, but it's growing on me, you know, and I'm I'm really liking it. Hopefully you all will too. Before we get into the interview, I want to throw something by you here, and I'm going to riff on this for a second. The other day on my personal Facebook page, I sent out a little bit of a feeler to people saying, hey, what would you all think if I did like a bonus episode of the Metal Forge and did like a metal book review type thing? I'm not a big reader. 
I mean, I read blurbs and shit like that, news articles and whatnot, but sitting down to read an actual book, I really have to have a, like a page turner in my opinion. Especially, you know, it's mostly the stuff that I read will be like uh, biographical stuff or autobiographical stuff. And it's got to be written like they're sitting there telling me the story. I just recently finished Iron Man, My Journey Through Heaven and Hell with Black Sabbath from Tony Iommi. And I've always enjoyed Tony's playing, his everything. And it always seemed like he got a bad rap as being the asshole behind Black Sabbath with wanting to fire Ozzy. I've had the book a long time. I've had it since it came out. But I finally actually read it. I'm thinking about doing an episode about that. Along with, you know, maybe a once a month or once every quarter. You know, every few months, throw out a bonus episode. If this sounds like something that would be cool to you, or if you want to contribute, send me some info. I will talk to you about it. Because it's, you know, just different. And whereas... All of the interviews that go on are talking about stuff like recording, touring, them as people. This is a little bit of a different thing. Because this ultimately is somebody who has a, a long-storied career. A very historical career in the, in the music scene. Shoot me a message. We'll talk about it. Speaking of shooting me a message. I recently have had some, some things happen with some friends. And if you want... To talk about anything. The Metal Forge door is always open. Send me a message. Send me it, Send it to me on my mes- uh, Facebook Messenger. Send it to me in an email. If you feel like you need to talk to somebody. And you don't have anybody to turn to. You could go do one of those uh, online mental health people. Like all these other podcasts uh, support and you know telehealth and stuff like that but if you don't if you don't feel comfortable paying for that stuff which is understandable dudes dudettes duderinos whatever just send me a message all you have to do is just you know metalforgeradio at gmail.com i answer everybody that sends me a message so if you feel like you need to talk you feel like you don't have anybody to talk to in your everyday personal life i'll listen It's important because we're all in this together and it's been increasingly more difficult for so many of us as the COVID-19 stuff has went on. So I'm there for you. And now's the part of the uh, monologue here where I'm going to thank the sponsors. Mom's Music, Maxwell's House of Music, Tattoo Charlie's, Wrestling Steve Show, Kentucky Hot Brown Pedal Boards. Uh, Hopefully more to come soon. Anchor. Ha ha ha. That's enough of my yakking. I'm going to play some legendary here. This is going to be Vindicator from The Wizard in the Tower Keep.
All right, Metalheads, this is a treat, because I'm being joined on the line right now with Vidar from Legendary in Pennsylvania. Dude, what's up? Oh, not too much. Uh, uh, you know, getting ready for Halloween and all that. Ooh, yeah, I know. It's it's totally cool, you know. Um, so you're in Pittsburgh, correct? Uh, yeah, technically speaking. Uh, I, th- I think that it's probably the it's the closest, like, big city to where we're all from. Like, uh, we're, we're all from different different parts. Tell everybody about Legendary really fast. Oh, well, so Legendary, it's a uh, an, an epic heavy metal band. Our, uh, our main focus, at least with uh, the recent stuff, has been all original fantasy uh, stories based on uh, a series of novelettes I'm, I'm working on. And eventually I'll compile them into a novella or, or, or a full-length novel. But uh, it's a fantasy-based band, um, very much started in uh, kind of a, with Manila Road as, as the centerpiece of our, our inspiration, or at least my inspiration. Um, I, I would say that the, uh, you know, of course, Crystal Logic album was, was some of the first material I was really practicing, singing and playing guitar, you know, learned a couple of those songs. So a lot of Manila Road influence and a lot of, uh, actually a lot of 70s pr- uh, progressive rock as well. Right. As a, a heavy influence bank. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just we we just want to write and play music we like to listen to, you know, or 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 if that music doesn't exist, exist, that's what we're trying to create. You know, I think that's I think that's a major point for almost every musician that I've talked to. I think not just on the show, not just on the show, but even in my in personal life of conversations at concerts, um, just you know, one one on one stuff. It seems like. Everyone has that same, this is the music I really like to listen to, so this is what I want to play, and if it's not a thing, I want to make it. And that's super mm-hmm. That's super fucking awesome, because, you know, there's so many people out there that probably join bands, and then the band changes direction while they're there, and they just either don't quit, or they just keep playing the stuff, you know? And it might not be the thing they want to do, mm-hmm. which I've never really got, because it's, you know, your creation. Which is totally cool. Um, well, I mean, you know, it's it is a thing where it's like you're you're making the music you want to you want to exist. Good. Uh, so it looks like you've got a demo, a couple of full links, and a most recent is an EP with a few cover songs and an original. Correct. Yeah, yeah. We we have uh, three three full links in the in the, the demo and the EP we just uh, finished up. Tell me about the writing process for you guys. You um, are you all in the same area? Do you have members in different parts of the country? Uh, how does how is that? Uh, we're all central to Pittsburgh. I'm, I'm originally from there. I'm, I'm living just west of there in the little sliver of uh, West Virginia between Ohio and Pennsylvania. So so I'm living there, and uh, Kicker lives out, up north a little bit. And uh, we actually have a new bass player we we have not uh, introduced to the world yet. So so we'll uh, we'll leave him a mystery for now. Ooh. But uh, yeah, right. But uh, our, our writing process, I mean, really from the beginning, well, the first two albums and the demos, uh, Kicker and I uh, wrote those together. And the, the way we'll work is, well, you know, we'll come up with a riff. Uh, a lot of the times it's stuff that comes up on, on the spot. Like it's uh, kind of off off the cuff, sort of like one of us just comes up with a cool riff or a cool drum pattern. And we develop that into a piece. But um, first two albums we recorded completely backwards. We essentially recorded the songs, then wrote the songs, then rehearsed the songs in that order. Whoa. 
So we basically, yeah, I know. Like, uh, so, so we, we would, we came up, we would come up with like, you know, first bridge chorus, breakdown riffs, organize them into a, a song structure basically, and then record just the guitars and drums together. And then I would go back over top of that, write words to it, basically construct that into, or form that into a song. You know, it had all the lead guitars and all the interesting parts and keys and, you know, yeah. Stuff that makes it not just a, you know, a skeleton, you know, and then we would take that and rehearse it for live. So we did that for Mists of Time and Dungeon Crawler. It's like a block so, recording type. Yeah, it was, like, I mean, it, it was the only way to really do it because, um, with the, the way I play, I mean, like, I, I think more in terms of composing music. I don't think of it really so much as like, you know, a guitar mastermind. I, I think of it more like, um, composing a, a piece so i'm thinking about the bass line i'm thinking about the lead guitars and as soon as i can break away from the basic melody the better then i start you know kind of crafting into different different parts right. so without a bass to rehearse with you know we're left with just riffs and then i go afterwards and then do all that additional stuff doing the rhythm tracking is probably i mean i, I would i would probably guess that most guitarists would consider that the most boring part you could possibly do the or uh, the so Mists of Time and Dungeon Crawler were done that way, and then uh, Wizard and Tower Keep was uh, completely a traditional method of of writing, which is what we've kind of maintained in a certain way at least. So with that, we would you know meet together and uh, try try to get like a song like per week or whatever, you know, just kind of jam it out at first, you know, work on some different melod- melodic possibilities in the lead guitar, you know, with the bass going with with uh, Evil Saint Clair on the bass. We actually demoed the entire Wizard and Tower Keep album, which uh, we're, we're planning to release eventually. Which which is going to be pretty cool. Definitely, because it's the yeah, because it's the full album live in our rehearsal room. Which the, the recordings, it's better than the demo stuff that we just uh, re-released on CD. But uh, it's definitely a bit rough. We did it as a pre-production for a label that, that we were kind of shopping the album out to, and they they actually turned us down. You know, which worked out. Uh, we we ended up with High Roller Records, which we were very happy with for that album. You know, that's a thing that a lot of people don't really understand with the... the I don't know. I don't almost view a record deal these days as the same as what it was 20, 30, and 40-plus years ago at this point. Because there's it's such a niche market now with who all is out there publishing records for people. Yeah, especially in a traditional heavy metal sense, a thrash metal sense, you don't have all these companies still like you still got some major players like Metal Blade and Nuclear Blast and stuff like that. But like you have so many other like Shadow Kingdom, High Roller, uh, just to name a couple. Yeah, No Remorse. There's There's a lot of cool ones. Right, just to that focus really on re-releases and almost underground new bands that have become the new runners in that field that it's a little bit different now. It's actually, it's a lot a bit different now. Yeah, well, a lot of times it's like a distribution sort of deal. The, the band will come up with all the stuff and the label will release it and promote it. Right, which is super cool because, you know, there's so many out of all these intricacies that used to be in major label stuff, they've kind of done, these independent people have kind of done away with a lot of that. And it's more Mm. about the art rather than the dollar. Yeah. I mean, you know, like it it is a a matter too of like, 
home recording becoming so advanced. I mean, 20 years ago, this stuff was really bad drum programming and just re- it was just really bad. I mean, everything about it was was horrible to deal with. It had n- none of the kind of fun vintage feel of like cassette four track demos, you know, and n- not now. Uh, I mean, on the flip side, though, now it's so easy to get like a great drum sound, you know, when it's in its programmed or great a- amp sims that they're still fake. You know, they're still right. Not, you know, I, I mean, you know, they, they sound fine, you know, but personally, I'll never use one. I mean, Understandable. You know, it, there, but, uh, there's a there's a certain uh, sweetness and warmth that comes from miking a cabinet and using yeah. real drums. I get it. I mean, it's, it's unpredictable. You know, there, it's different. You're moving actual air. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, case in point was, uh, you know, prior to ta- getting on here and actually talking was um, we were talking about Motorhead, and mm. case in point there is. Uh, we are the road crew. Fast Eddie Clark fell over recording his solo, and he's just laying there feeding back. Yeah. And somebody comes in and helps him get up as he's feeding back, and then he goes right back into soloing, and that's the take that made the album. Yeah, I mean, you know, and some of those like Motorhead albums sound horrendous. I mean, but but it's <laughs> it's so much energy, and and, and it's like right. So you it know, doesn't it, matter. Like it's, it's just aggressive and, and mean sounding. You know, I mean, like like the you know the production on Bomber and Iron Fist. It's just like. I mean, by by anyone's standards today, it sounds awful. I mean, right? But, uh, the bronze recording era stuff for them is it sounds so bad, and then yeah, you've got but, but like I love it, you know. It's right? A, you know, it's, it's that raw quality, and then you had uh, Ace of Spades, just the song that sounds phenomenal, and the rest of the album sounds just like the the other bronze recording stuff. Yeah, that, yeah, that, that was definitely a figment of, of like that sort of era where they would have the single produced by somebody else and make it sound really good, and then the rest of it sounds kind of like, eh, okay, they really didn't try on this one. <laughs> right. It's it's good stuff. So, you've got the albums. Do you have, and you've told me already and everybody else out there that uh, it's a po- it's the, the the novelization of things, right? You're, you're yeah. considering wanting to put them into a novel form. Yeah. Uh, so, so the um, the Wizard in the Tower Keep, uh, the the novelette was released a year prior to the album in the uh, anthology uh, Fierce Tales Savage Lands, which was a uh, Millhaven Press was the company that released that. It's it's still available. You can find that on like a paperback. I I painted the album cover for, or not album cover the book cover for that as well. Oh wow! But uh, so, so that was a kind of a. I mean, basically, the the genesis for that was that on Mists of Time, I had a couple of original tunes or original subjects, and the uh, those are based on the, the the figure on the album cover, the guy that has his back turned all the time. Yeah, um, the uh, the barbaric warrior. Yeah, the uh, well, like, like a well, he has no name. Basically, he's kind of the Clint Eastwood of barbarians, but um, we. Uh, I sometimes refer to him as the Earth Warrior, which is one of the the last tune on uh, Wizard and Tower Keep. So I was writing a few original pieces that were not really kind of loosely tied together. The Mist of Time song dealt with the figure on the album cover, and then that kind of grew from there. With Dungeon Crawler, I still had a couple of those original tunes, and and uh, the the other halves of these, both these first two albums, were based on Robert E. Howard's Conan stories. 
you know, so songs like uh, Shadows in the Moonlight, Rogues in the House, uh, Phoenix on the Blade, they're all based on Robert E. Howard short stories. I wanted to kind of develop that further where I was writing my own prose to base the lyrics on. So that way I would be kind of responsible for the whole aspect of it. So, you know, that way when I'm writing my kind of esoteric lyrics, then, you know, I'm really just boiling down you know, a couple thousand words of prose into 12 lines of, of uh, lyrics. Right. It's almost like the um, Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman stories of Dragonlance, where they were derived from their campaigns under Gary Gygax's group, and they just put it in novel form. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's... Dude, you that's know, fucking it, killer. Well, it, it, it kind of comes down to, I mean, the and the reason I sat down, like, what was really the kind of turning point was uh, watching the, I forget which which Rush documentary it was. It was one of the more recent ones. And they were showing, like, uh, the screenshots of Neil Peart's uh, lyrics, where he had, like, little pictures, like, for, like, Rivendell. It was, like, little, little pictures of Rivendell. And, but they were, these, like, on some of them, he had, like, this prose thing that was explaining what the song was about. And, and I thought that was a really cool idea. So, so I sat down at my computer about, you know, two in the morning and uh, put on Crescent Steel and started writing The Wizard in the Tower Keep. And, you know, I, I got, like, 3,000, 4,000 words done and you know, before I even knew what happened. And, well, you know, of course, I had to have it released in some way. So, you know, uh, made that happen. Hell yeah. Uh, Metal with a backstory. Yeah, the uh, and the the next album now, uh, the the novelette actually has been out for a year uh, in the uh, Swords of Steel omnibus collection. So I don't know if you're familiar with Swords of Steel. That's uh, DMR Books. Yeah, it's, it's it's a really cool series. Um, I, I was very happy to be a part of it. The um, so there was there was originally uh, three. I think there was three Swords of Steel books. Uh, and they're they're, they're basically heavy metal musicians writing short stories. So here I have the book right right here. It has um, yeah. actually uh, Jason from Eternal Champion. Uh, wrote a story for it. Uh, he actually just published his uh, his uh, his first uh, novelette with uh, DMR Books just recently as well for the new Eternal Champion record. It has um, stuff with um, uh, Mark Shelton under under the uh, EC Hellwell name. Uh, oh yeah, yeah uh, DL uh, Lackner. Yeah, uh, Scott uh, Scott Waldrop. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, uh, awesome. but, uh, Byron Roberts from uh, Balsa Goth. Yeah, it's it's got a bunch of cool cool dudes in it. Definitely. So, uh, Some of these, I, if you go onto the Amazon page, uh, a couple of them, you can actually see pictures of the people, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. Awesome. So, out of everything that you've written so far, do you have a favorite song out of all of that stuff? Um, that kind of changes. I mean, I think I think I like playing Earth Warrior the most. I mean, because it's, it is kind of an adventure to play. There's, there's a lot of stuff to do, especially for me. <laughs> you know, switching from, from different... Uh, tones in the guitar and i'm actually using a, a couple of different synthesizer pedals as well right now so i've kind of ex- like since, since this uh, quarantine thing i've expanded my rig so when, once we go back live we'll have a bunch of cool stuff to show off right on um one other thing i wanted to ask about this looking at the album artwork from mists of time to dungeon crawler the wizard in the tower keep and then going to heavy metal adventure with that mm. being a couple, uh, like Broadsword, uh, the Jethro Tull cover, the Manila Road cover, uh, how is, I'm looking at the artwork for that, and it seems like the Barbarian is in the ruins and in, in the throne. Is this, a, is this just like a little snippet, like a preview of what's to come? How is that? 
Uh, it's actually a view into the past. Um, so, so all all the album covers are well, well, they're they're not exactly in sequence. I would say Heavy Metal Adventure is the first. Uh, so the, the, that depicts a scene, and uh, in the CD and LP version of it, uh, not LP, vinyl EP. I keep getting that mixed up. But right. the, uh, the in the uh, the vinyl edition, there's a, a lyric sheet. And there's uh, an excerpt from the uh, novelette, uh, you know, kind of describing the scene. So, so the reason the warrior's in shadow there is because he's not wearing his helmet. If you look at the uh, the the uh, kind of he's in a tomb, basically. Right. And uh, so the uh, the enthroned skeletal king figure, he's wearing the helmet and holding the sword that the uh, the earth warrior is going to then kind of take from the tomb, you know, w- w- with a, a sense of respect, of course, but, you know, you know, he needs some kind of protection in this, this realm because it, um, to back up a bit further, he, he's, uh, it, it's kind of a, a bit of a nod to the heavy metal film uh, with the den. Oh, absolutely. Where, where, where he's like transported from earth to the other world where he becomes kind of a hero in his own way. The earth warrior is transported from earth. That's why he's uh, known as, as the earth warrior. Nice. But at this point he's, uh, kind of tamed the beasts of the wild in a way and uh, become strong enough to defend himself, you know, with, with his, his hands. But he sees the, the sword and the, the helmet of the, the dead king and uh, sees that as the kind of next transition to attaining power over, you know, may, maybe uh, uh, more uh, powerful adversaries than, than just the beasts of the, the earth. Covering some songs on that one made some sense because it's, it's a, a bit of a reverting back. Especially too in the way that we wrote Heavy Metal Adventure because we went right back to the way we did things on Mystic Time where we we uh, recorded it before we wrote it. <laughs> That's actually to me it sounds like it would really work well, honestly. Yeah, it does. I mean, it's quick. Uh, it, it is live. I mean, we uh, we did have a uh, a bit of a different rig for that one where uh, I had my headphone or my uh, guitar playing through headphones that we both had on and. That way, when we were tracking the drums, there was no bleed of a, like a guitar amp in the room or anything like that. So we we got a nice isolated drum track. Definitely. But um, it was it was a very wacky setup. I rigged up several different mixers and interfaces and piles of microphones and just kind of uh, you know had had a bit of fun with uh, the setup on that one. Right. On. Made no. If, if anybody saw it, they they were the, the the actual rig. They would they would not be able to believe that that it worked. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Okay, so hold that thought. I'm going to take a real quick break, and we'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Thank you for tuning into the Metal Forge this week. I really appreciate every last one of you that listens. But before I go any further, I do want to tell you that we do have a Patreon page here. And there's three tiers. There's the Dion and Dirty Dollar tier. It's just a buck. Hey, you're not going to miss a buck. Nobody does. Then there's the $5 Showstoppers tier which you get a patch, stickers, whatever we have that's in that price range. And then there's the $20 a month master, where you can get a t-shirt, any size, any color of the Metal Forge logo. Fuck yeah, that's awesome stuff. Oh, and by the way, if you donate on there, guess what? You get the show two days in advance from everybody else. Thank you all so much. It's patreon.com slash metalforgeradio. Check it out and donate today. I love you guys. Thank you. Why a musician? I mean, you're a writer, you play music, you do artwork. So what is, I mean, and you've incorporated all of that into everything. Yeah. Saves a lot of money that way whenever I'm painting the album covers too. For sure. (laughs) And recording it. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. Because it's, uh, uh, licensing art is not a cheap thing if you want really good stuff. So why music? 
Uh, well, I mean, that's really where, where it all comes back to, you know, I mean, uh, you know, from, from being a little kid with a little cassette player and going around listening to rock and roll cassettes, like, I mean, you know, I've, I've had a guitar, uh, I think since I was maybe three or four years old, you know, I didn't really get serious about it until, you know, maybe I was just, just out of elementary school, you know, over there was taking lessons and things. And, you know, it's just always been there. It's just something, you know, it's like a language that, that, um, you know, I like to speak in, you know, like I, I kind of look at like, uh, you know, the way uh, uh, Frank Zappa, you know, one of my biggest sort of guitar influences uh, puts it, you know, it's like, you know, I just want to play long guitar solos. That's really the whole thing. Like, it's a, just a, just a big excuse to play guitar solos for four to five minutes at a time. Like, I'll play guitar for, you know, maybe 10 to 15 minutes and come up with a riff, but I'll think about it for two to three days, like constantly. And I'll, I'll kind of roll it around in my head until it turns into something. And then when I pick up the guitar, again it'll be there I yeah, so, can, so it's I kind of um, yeah it's like something i like uh I'll, I'll think about things like like uh if i'm painting and i'm i run into a, a trouble area where i'm i can't i don't know what color to use or uh what have you because the, the way i do these paintings too is like uh like uh, uh, you know i'm kind of like a classical oil painter by uh, would have studied so like painting from life is the best but i i intentionally paint these without looking at anything so it's all memory that, that i'm painting so the kind of cartoony aspect sometimes is, I wouldn't say intentional, but it's a, it's kind of a, a factor in it. So performing, because that's the other half of all of this, obviously, because mm. you've got the recording, you've got the, the writing of everything and the product. But deep down, I think most of us have that need to put it out in front of people live. I'm not too familiar with your touring life or any of your live show settings, but do you have a favorite venue or city you like to play in? Um, well, you know, we really don't do a lot of live stuff. I mean, like, well, you know, when the band is rolling and, and, and we're not all kind of quarantined and wondering what's going to happen next, you know, we really only do maybe four to five shows a year, you know, like, you know, or maybe a little bit more than that. But uh, none of us are really at a stage in our lives where we want to do any, like, extensive touring. Right on. And I kind of feel like it's not necessarily necessary to what we want to achieve i'd rather play a couple of cool shows a year you know like you know festival kind of things where there's you know a lot of people and a lot of energy and that kind of stuff right but, stuff that's extremely meaningful to you and gets your point across and yeah as i want lo- to be more as little as possible happens you know i mean and you know the the recorded thing is where where i'm at you know i'm, I'm you know a somewhat reclusive person you know i, I don't necessarily like like uh, playing live is not like a, a comfort zone for me Okay. You know, I, I'd like for it to be, but it just isn't, you know, I mean, we'll see if it ever becomes one, but you know. Right. Well, I mean, I think that there's some people that do, you know, there's some people that just do that, that, that don't, that just would prefer to record. Mm-hmm. Take the Beatles, for example. You know, a lot of people don't realize that after 1966, they never played live again until that, yeah, right. until the rooftop show. Mm-hmm. If it were 10 years ago, yeah, I'd probably get into a, a touring, you know, regimen, you know, and want to be more into doing that but uh, i think that for for myself you know and, and and the rest of the band we're not really into you know living out of a van for for weeks or months you know it's right not the most appealing thing i mean there, there there's definitely like the the experience of it but like the the financial downfall of the whole thing because the, the touring bands that we've played with it just does it seems like it's just like a slog you know like it doesn't seem like 
doesn't seem lucrative. Yeah, I mean, you know, not that that's a big important thing, but you know, uh, I, I do like to consider it a band where we try to work within our means. You know, like like I'm not going to spend thousands on a, on a, on recording an album so that we can not, you know lose money on it. Like that doesn't make sense. I get it. You know, I, I'd rather fight against uh, what means we have and, and make it better than what it co- you know could possibly have been. Than you know, spend all the money and feel like we're getting a, a you know something something better from it because I, I don't really feel like that's the case either when that happens. Oh, very much agree with that uh, because recently I reached out to an artist to well, actually the artist's estate because the artist is no longer living. Reached out to his estate to license a painting. Mm-hmm. And I was told it would be X amount of dollars. And I was just like, well, I could pay it. I could come up with the money to do it. But am I going to make that much back off of it or am I going to break even? Yeah. In the and grand I mean, scheme of things. And it's you know, like, and, and it's unfortunate because, you know, you want to support people and, and, and that, that type of thing, too. And, but, well, and yeah, I mean, I mean, just having that, that cool-ass artwork that everyone knows mm-hmm. on the cover because I can doesn't necessarily mean that I should. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So right, right. and that, and that's really the thing. I think what we're what we're both circling around is, yeah, there's the possibility that we could. Do we really think that we should? Because there's so many different aspects of. It's not just this or that. It's you know every direction. Yeah, for sure. And you know, and, and it's you know with, with with my bizarre recording rigs and stuff like that. It's I think it's more fun. I feel like more of a mad scientist when I have like hundreds of chords going every which way and recording in method with methods that nobody's really done. You know, it's it's not the correct way. You know, like like uh, <laughs> I mean like, things like uh, on Dungeon Crawler. Like, I, I, at the time I was uh, well, at the time I was uh, what was I? I was driving back and forth because I had moved and the rest of the band was still in the town where they were at and uh, I had this like really crappy car that only had a cassette deck in it and so i had like a pile of all the led zeppelin and all the black sabbath tapes and so i would just listen to those on the way back and forth like an hour and a half drive each way so i was just listening to those for months while we were recording dungeon crawler and i was reading about black sabbath and again a band with a with terrible production on on the uh the, the aussie albums i mean it sounds horrendous <laughs> i mean it sounds I, just bad oh my god but uh, i am currently reading uh iron man and yes, horrendous. It's, I don't know if you've ever read that or not. No, no, I might have it's to. It's not just the Aussie albums. He has, uh, Tony has fought his entire life with horrible stories in production. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's all nuts. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, so it's so a long story short, though. I'd, I'd, I read that they taped a pack of cigarettes to their snare drum. So, of course, we did that for the whole Dungeon Crawler album. So, so the, through the whole album, there's a package of cigarettes duct taped onto the snare drum because I read that they did it. I, I mean, it kind of worked. <laughs> wow. That's kind of like the, the Johnny Cash thing where, where Sun Records couldn't record an, an actual drum set mm-hmm. and he put the dollar bill in the in the acoustic guitar strings and just oh yeah 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 because it made it sound like a like a snare drum yeah that's like like it's probably that's like an old busking sort of trick or, or maybe even like a spanish guitar thing like uh i remember taking classical guitar lessons and and there was a method where you flip the e and a string over top of one another to create this kind of snare effect and so you'd hold that and play other stuff, and you would give it the st- dun- 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 dun on the. Wow, uh, I've never heard of that. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it kind of works. I mean, I can see people doing that, but yeah, there's there's all kinds of odd things. I'm. I mean, you, like even or, or or things like on Dungeon Crawler, there's a scream at the end of Shadows in the Moonlight, which was recorded around midnight in the middle of the woods on a on a boombox. 
<laughs> like with microphones on it, they had microphone. It was like a seventies boombox with stereo mics on it. So nice. That, that was my handheld recording device. I didn't have a little <laughs> digital thing. Move over, Zoom. We're going yeah. back to the seventies. Well, I do have one of those now. Those are kind of nice. They but. are phenomenal. Uh, when I get to do in-person stuff, that's what I use, and yeah. it's they're so good. So yeah, yeah, a, a little if, post EQing drop. They're they're kind of mid-range heavy. If you drop out the mid-range, you sound pretty nice. Very much. So if anybody from uh, the Zoom camp is listening, um, you you can get to me at. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> the recording stuff is a whole other rabbit hole you know, with technique and so on and so forth, and just doing things that add extra body to what you're playing. Mm-hmm. Like where you're saying that it was record the screen was recorded on a seventies boom box in at midnight in the middle of the woods because that was what you had. But like even yeah. in other things like, you know, like Metal Gods from Judas Priest, the metal sound that goes on the downbeat mm-hmm. was was a tray of silverware on a marble floor. Oh, okay. Which is That's totally cool. And I've always wanted to delve more into that abstract slash obscure, I guess like foley. In in film it would yeah. be called foley. Uh right. where you you create something from just bullshit. I did that on the uh, fire sound effects at the beginning and end of uh, the Wizard and Tower Keep album. Really? I kind of do, I, I don't want to say exactly what I did because it'll ruin the effect and you won't be able to unhear it. But Yeah, please, look don't. Up how please to cre- don't ruin that. If you look up how to create uh, fire sound effects fully style, then, then you know, we'll probably find out how I did it. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, the, the winds, though, are, are a wah pedal, actually, through a distortion pedal. Like, all, all the wind sound effects that I do are I all... Could, I could actually see pedal. that on or, yeah. or hear that rather, depending on how you play them in phase, yeah. we'll make that. Yeah, I could see that. that see, that's the, the that's swords are all real cool swords, shit. though. Like so, so the, the swords are no trick. They're they're real swords. <laughs> so, so whenever I, like, because I always put that I play swords on the albums, and, and that's not a lie or nice. or or kind of a goofy thing. Like I, I do have swords that I use for recording. <laughs> Dude, that is awesome for sure. Because it's like, yeah, and that was the, uh, the real so, stuff, you know. <laughs> Well, the, the, so the Wizard and Tower was, uh, it was different to, uh, you know, like the first, uh, Mist of Time and Dungeon Crawler were, were done entirely in house, essentially, like they're recorded in living rooms and attics and basements and stuff. And, uh, so Wizard and Tower, we went to a studio to work with, uh, Arthur Rizik and, uh, you know, he, he has a really cool uh, resume of things uh, other than Eternal Champion and Summerlands, of course. So we were real psyched to work with him. You know, we went out to the studio of, of his choice in Philly. The, First session was the band, but whenever I came back to do the uh, vocals and acoustic guitars and things, the only thing I brought with me was a sword. So every every line sung on that album, I am holding a sword. <laughs> I brought it with me into the vocal booth, and uh, you know, it was kind of like my uh, my focus for the day. You know, that's not unheard of, though. Not with yeah. the, not necessarily with a sword. I play bass and and do vocals. And there are some things where I just have to have my bass on when I yeah, when exactly. I perform the vocal in the studio, because mm-hmm. it gives me I don't know if it gives me a if it's like a security blanket or if it makes me feel more in the mood of performing it live. Yeah, I, th- I mean it's both of those things, but it's also like a muscular thing, you know, like like the way that you you know you posture. Like, uh, I mean, if you ever look at like old, old blues singers, like, especially Muddy Waters, like, uh, like when he sings, uh, Mean Manish Boy, 
like like uh, if you watched on uh, the last waltz, you know the band, right, the, right. the concert video. But uh, so when he sings "Me and Manish Boy," he does it like whenever he does his vibrato, he holds his hand out in front of him and waves up and down, and that's how he creates his vibrato is by moving his hand and then you know his whole body follows that. So you know, posturing with sword or kind of you know miming the bass or whatever is going to give you that same sort of you know movement in you know in your vocals. Definitely. I mean, so, is it academic? No, it's not academic in any way. But uh, that's how you know the old school dudes would do it. So, but it's superstitious, and musicians are superstitious people. Oh yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> For the most part. All right, this is the last break we're going to take, and then we're coming back with some general questions. Hey guys, Wrestling Steve of the Wrestling Steve Show here. Uh, so if you're currently listening to the Metal Forge with Mark Jackson, then you understand that Mark Jackson has a pretty discerning taste when it comes to music as a whole. You'll also understand that he has a discerning taste for professional wrestling, just like me. The, my show is called The Wrestling Steve Show. Uh, I talk about modern and classic pro wrestling in a completely unbiased, unfiltered way. Be sure to check me out on all available podcasting platforms. That is The Wrestling Steve Show. And I am the host, Wrestling Steve. Just remember, uh, like like Confucius said, uh, man who goes through turnstile in Thailand uh, is going to Bangkok. Pro wrestling. All right. So I do like to ask some general questions here about you, about the people who make the music that I prefer to listen to and like to tell everybody out in Metal Forge Land about, because. That's the one thing we all have in common here on the show is we're all we're all metalheads. We all like art and stuff like that. So this is about you. What was your first concert? Uh, the first concert was the Who. They it was a uh, it was Pittsburgh Civic Arena. Uh, my dad took me. I was I think it was, it was in third grade, so it must have been like I don't know seven, six or seven years old or something like that. Wow. Or, uh, yeah, so, and the, the Who was my favorite band at the time. You know, that, that's what I listened to on my little cassette boombox that I would carry around with me. And, um, so, so they played the Quadrophenia album in its entirety. It was, it was pretty, uh, amazing. I mean, I was a kid. I don't remember too much of it, but, uh, yeah, it was, it, they still had John Entwistle in the band. Of course, Keith Moon had already passed on, so right. he wasn't there, but it was the, but they did the whole album and then they did like an acoustic sort of set where they played some other, other classics but yeah that was pretty cool right um, on the uh the next one though was uh g3 with uh it was joe satriani steve Vai, and at the time kenny wayne shepherd with robert fripp opening and um that one my, my mom took me to and uh and, and i got a she had like that backstage pass thing so i got to meet all all, all the all those people so i have pictures of me with uh steve Vai when i was a little kid it was, it was kind of an interesting thing i guess definitely and completely off the deep end musician that like you know everybody who listens to him knows about all of his stuff but like the stuff with him and zappa yeah oh yeah yeah so fucking cool well like and, and the robert fripp thing like uh, you know at the time like I, I don't think my my mom was a big fan of his and i remember hearing weird kind of you know like uh, now hearing it today uh, the you know the frippertronics effects that he does like i, I kind of vaguely remember standing in line to get in hearing the, like frippertronic style kind of wee, 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 like weird kind of tape looping effects but um, i mean king crimson eventually became you know a huge inspiration and uh, you know still haunts me to this day the the, the the first seven albums i would say are you know some of the most haunting material i mean i, I don't think i'll ever escape it so what's your most embarrassing moment Ooh. 
Embarrassing. Mm. Much. Oh, hey, well, 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 here's a good one band related. <laughs> the, the, uh, the first show that we played was uh, essentially a warm up gig in Pittsburgh because we had been offered uh, a spot at the Legions of Metal Festival in Chicago. It was the, the first year they were doing that after the other uh, Ragnarok festival was no more and we had a really good slot they gave us like you know 50 minutes or something like that and it was like second to the headliner on second stage which i mean for for us at the time it was just like wow you know i mean we're you know we have this this one obscure album out on a portuguese record label and uh you know we're, we're, we're doing this thing so things are going okay you know like we're, we're um you know halfway through the first song we played for metal to, uh, for metal we ride as, as the first one and um you know and, and it was also it was very late in the festival you know like there you know we, everyone had been drinking all day of course we had and we were, we were just ready to be on for the show and uh you know my, my solo comes up for for metal we ride you know and i'm playing the wah pedal part and i go to click off my wah pedal and i didn't realize it right away but i unplugged my pedal because i didn't have a real pedal board yet i just had like a kind of a string of them up in front of me and i unplugged my pedal and the guitar's just cut and there's no guitars at all and, and here, here's the verse and i'm supposed to be singing and i'm like i run back to the amp you know it was like a backline like marshall head on, on something that would i don't know it was way too loud to begin with and i'm like over there turning it off and on not, not knowing what's going on the sound guy's looking at me and shrugging and you know eventually like i, I saw that my uh wah pedal was just slightly unplugged so i, I clicked it back in and you know, we finished out the set, but right at the beginning of the set, you know, we'd been waiting, you know, from Friday when we got there until Saturday evening almost to go on, you know, and I, I just blew it, you know. Nobody really knew, though. Everyone was like, you know, right in in, in their in their happy place at that point. So they in were kind of uh, various nobody states, cared. various states of inebriation. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the set went off OK, you know, after that, that was the biggest thing. But I, I was just I was so bummed out. I was not pleased about it so now my pedal boards are ready to go <laughs> you know i've had that same thing happen with the the crybaby pedal yeah and it never happens when you're at home it only happens no. when you're on stage and i'm gonna say this and i hope there i hope somebody from there is listening but dunlop needs to fix that shit yeah, because awful. that shit sucks Especially, you know, when, if you if you're using like a little ninety patch cable, oh, mm -hmm. it's the worst. It's the worst. Well, then the little the little rubber feet come off. You know, if you're not using like because like, I wasn't using the board and it was a hard yep. stage and the little screws just skated across. And yeah, <laughs> what's your favorite color? Um, so I get asked this a lot because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a painter and I always say I don't know. I don't have a favorite. I legitimately just don't, don't have a favorite. I have favorites for different applications. You know, I mean, like as far as clothing, black, and pretty much that's it. <laughs> but like, uh, none but more I, blacker. Well, you know, it's just uh, everything matches. I don't have to like, uh, you know, worry about oh, does this match? Like, I, I, you know, the only thing is you have to fold shirts with the, the, the images on the outside so that you could see what they are, because otherwise it just it doesn't it's make any sense. Just another black it, shirt, right? Right. Uh, uh, and it's slimming. <laughs> Right, yeah, there you go. Uh, I get that because of being an, uh, a visual artist as well. I, I relate, especially when I, you know, first started painting. Most overrated musician, uh, actor, or sports team. Who um, in your who in either one of the any one of those three? Who would be the most overrated in your opinion? Um, looking for names here. Names. Well, I, I, I don't follow any sports whatsoever, so so that's right out. Um, movies. So most overrated yeah. actor or musician? Let's see. I mean, like, so uh, you know, with with movies, I I, I couldn't say either because I don't I don't really watch anything past like nineteen ninety. 
two or three. Everything past that is kind of like, eh, except Lord of the Rings, maybe. So musicians, bands. Huh, it's a good one. Maybe like, it's like the guitar player from U2. I don't know, but I don't really know if I really. The Edge? Yeah, I don't, I don't I, like. I can get a delay pedal, you know. I don't know. <laughs> but but, but uh, that's all I really have. I, I don't really have a whole lot of trash talk for for no, music. No, no. I know how difficult it is. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I don't necessarily think it's trash talk, but it's like I think it's the ones who you don't see the appeal in. Yeah, yeah. That's that's I, that should be the. That I should... mean, if anything, like like it, it would it would be more of a broad thing where like you know the kind of. I mean, we were talking about like the bigger record labels, like like uh, Metal Blade or or Nuclear Blast, like the kind of the sound of the very. It sounds like pop music, you know, with the way the vocals are just very perfect, and the drums that go you know, and it's just like the kind of like you know modern power metal sort of. It just it just sounds like pop music. It, I mean, a lot of people seem to like it. I mean, they're they're producing it, and it's on a on a pretty high level, you know. So I guess a lot of people are. are paying for that stuff but i, I i'm just I, I i it's beyond me why it's uh why it is what it is i, I think it's, it's like eating too much candy it's like obvious right for so. sure christmas or thanksgiving well see like i i associate holidays with different musics a lot of times or, or different like things i really like so i go on a seasonal thing right. i mean like right now you know of course it's like the merciful fate halloween halloween typo negative that sort of thing sisters of mercy too uh but like you know thanksgiving doesn't really have a, a band I would say it's Mystery Science Theater. I don't know if you're familiar with with that that TV show from the '90s. Oh hell yes! So that, that you know the Turkey Day Marathon was always their thing. So so that that's definitely pretty special. But uh, I would I would say Christmas for sure because that's Christmas is Jethro Tull. I mean you know they they have the only Christmas album other than maybe, well maybe the Christopher Lee Christopher uh, Christmas album is pretty pretty cool. But the uh, Jethro Tull is um, associated with Christmas as far as I'm concerned. So. You know, and one of my all-time favorites. I have the whole CD catalog. You know, oh, all my precious yes. CDs. <laughs> Pre- but yes. the, uh, I decorate the Christmas tree every year, listening to the Christmas album, which is, you know, actually a really cool album. <laughs> what instrument would you want to learn how to play? Um, flute. To keep on the Jethro Tull thing, I have a flute, like an orchestral one. It's a, and it's pretty decent. You know, it's it's a better quality student level one. I can't produce a sound on it to save my life. So, if, you know, if, if anybody out there is afraid of uh, legendary with a flute solo in the future, I'm gonna have to find somebody who can play it because <laughs> I'm probably not going to. But uh, I've looked into things like uh, lyre harps and uh, stuff like that to add more of the bardic element. Like I picked up the mandolin for the last album as well. I'm always into things. Uh, one of the other things, and I considered it kind of a new instrument, is uh, over the last. Last uh, six months or so, I, I picked up uh, one of the Epiphone uh, double neck SGs. Oh yeah! So I've been the, a lot of the new material focuses on that having that twelve string in the mix. Um, so I've, I've considered it like a new instrument. Um, you know, being able to switch between those two necks, plus a lot of the um, songs from the Wizard and the Tower Keep incorporate twelve string acoustic guitar. So naturally, I can switch to the twelve string neck and give those parts a little bit more of what they had on the album, especially songs like the Bard's Tale, which is, you know, all 12, 12 string 
you know, and the mandolin. But uh, so but yeah, there's- logistically with this, it would be really difficult to probably perform live on a lot of things. Uh, unless no. you had, I mean, because the thing is with the, the, the way we're writing at least the full lengths now, I mean, the, the, the heavy metal adventure was, was just kind of a fun thing we wanted to do for the last couple of years and found the time to do it. Um, but the way we're writing now, uh, we, we write as a, a three piece. And if the song sounds cool with just us playing it, that's, that's what we're, we're writing. Okay. Whenever it comes time to do all the the kind of bells and whistles and literally uh, and and you know the keyboards the and the mellotrons and yeah the the Hammond organ and things like those are all kind of additional. So so the stripped down versions of the songs are definitely still going to be cool. I mean like like we're not going to write a big long part where we're just kind of droning away and imagining a Hammond organ solo. Okay, um, well that makes a lot more sense. And again, that's that's along the same line of what you had said before about playing. Or mm. touring and doing things above your means. Well, well, then, uh, yeah, like uh, it, it is also a thing too, where you know, finding a keyboardist, you know, would, would be very difficult as well. Uh, my, my my wife plays the piano, and she she's played on uh, actually all three of the the full length albums up, up to this point. She'll, she'll probably play on the next one as well. The, you know, as far as like working these things into the, the live um, before or over the last year, I got one of um, Electro Harmonics makes uh, this Mellotron pedal, so it, it kind of tracks what you're playing on the guitar. It's not like a MIDI synth, but what, what it does is it creates the Mellotron effect. And what I have that running to is a uh, direct box, which goes to the house. PA system like a keyboard would. So, so I, you know, I can click a foot pedal and it'll follow me with orchestra. And uh, I just recently added a, one of their their C9 pedal, which is the um, uh, Hammond organ. So I do have live versions. You know, they're different from the studio versions because the Hammond and Mellotron will not deviate from what I'm playing on the guitar. The sounds are there, and they they will make a live appearance. You know, so awesome. Well, that that's super fucking cool. Yeah, it's, it's any way to make as much noise as possible, basically, because it's like kind of the rush thing, you know, like how many things can I do at one time so that we can make the sound like five people? Definitely. So before I ask the last question, do you have any shout outs you want to give? Um, well, um, I, I guess a big one would be, uh, Noidy. Uh, we, we've been working with him with, uh, his Golden Core and, uh, Zwix Records in Germany. For the heavy metal adventure, I mean, he's been awesome. Um, we, we met him when we played with Manila Road in Pittsburgh, and uh, I, I felt bad because he, he bought one of our CDs, and uh, like I meant I was going to give him one, you know, like and he bought one before I could give it to him, so I felt bad about that. But um, yeah, we've been working with him, and um, on the thirtieth, we have uh, a two CD collection coming out on Golden Core of Mists of Time and Dungeon Crawler, which is uh, pretty exciting. It has a big, extensive twenty-page booklet with uh, a new kind of kind of backstory of the band that I wrote. And it details a lot of the nonsensical recording elements and some of the chaos that, that, that's gone on. Uh, uh, and, you know, has some, some photos that haven't been published and things like that. Sweet. That's it. Yeah. Then the, the cool thing about the music, though, is uh, so Mist of Time was the first thing we recorded. And if you buy the CD, uh, you'll, you'll see the, the kind of it, it, we were, it shouldn't work. It, it should not work. The, the way that we recorded it was completely wrong in every way. And uh, so I, I took it upon myself to remix the whole album from the ground up, like just from the raw tracks, re- restarting everything. And uh, there's some limitations, but um, my kind of knowledge of how, how to work effects and, and compress things and not compress things and EQ things and and so on, has kind of gotten better since then. So uh, the, the remix was, was pretty decent. And then we had uh, 
Arthur Rizik again, who's, who's been our kind of go-to producer to work with on, on pretty much everything. Uh, we, we sent it to him to have it mastered, and we have that sounding uh, as basically as good as it can possibly sound. So that so that's kind of a brand new thing for this two CD. But yeah, the thirtieth that, that's coming out, and uh, we'll, we'll have copies of it. And uh, as Wix will have copies as well. Yeah, uh, lo- look out for Noidy to do a uh, an unboxing video. I'm sure. So, right yeah. on. Anybody else you want to shout out to before you go? Yeah, no, 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 not that I can think of. I'm probably forgetting something. But uh, yeah, no, that's right on. That's all right for on. now. And you can uh, find music at legendary.bandcamp.com. And where else can people find you? Uh, well, the uh, first three albums are, are all on uh, Spotify and iTunes. And uh, the new wave of uh, traditional heavy metal full albums channel on YouTube always hosts our stuff as well. So uh, if you want to check it on YouTube. But uh, yeah, the Bandcamp is is our primary base for everything. That's, that's the one that if you want to support the band, that, that's the place to go. Definitely. I know you can get all three albums on there along with the EP, uh, Heavy Metal Adventure. You can get Initiation Rituals, which are the demos. And Yeah, we're, we're setting up to restock the CDs for Heavy Metal Adventure as well. Awesome. So, and you so we will someone. have a bundle pack you know, with, the, with basically every CD studio album uh, that, that'll be coming up to as well. So. And you do have some merch and stuff on there as well, correct? Yeah, yeah. We have um, some really cool long sleeves. Uh, that uh, we we had uh, uh, yes uh, straight printing uh, as well our, our buddy uh, Bill Ross from uh, also from uh, Manila Road he played bass on the the EP remotely and uh, he he helped us out with some some really awesome T-shirts he has a very cool company called Straight Printing and yeah so so we have those set up on there and we have some uh, woven patches as well uh, shield shape of course it's the only correct shape for heavy metal patches <laughs> right but uh, yeah. All right, and the final question I have, and this is this is why we do what we do here, because we ask hard-hitting questions. What's your favorite animal? Uh, that would that would have to be a bear. Not not really specific on which which kind of bear, like you know black bear or grizzly bear, but I wear a silver bear claw uh, around my neck, like as a necklace. Like I've worn some form of a bear claw for maybe. 10 to 15 years, it's kind of a, a totem item. I, I see it as my kind of spirit animal. And uh, it's also good in case I need to um, sterilize or keep sterile drinking water. Right. So I can use the silver to do that. that that's actually why uh, it's a bit of uh, ancient trivia. The, uh, you know, wishing wells, when they, they would throw the, you know, the, the thing of throwing a coin into the well, that comes from uh, the purification of the water. Like these, the gold and silver coins would... Uh, keep the water sterile. So that's why the towns would all, you know, they would all throw coins into the well to keep the water good. How well right. it works, I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not really a, a scientist either. I'm but not an alchemist. It's, it's nice to think that maybe, you know, like if I'm trapped in the wilderness, I can I can use this claw around my neck as some kind of a way to keep clean drinking water. But yeah, so so the bear would be my animal totem. Right on. Absolutely. Vidar, thank you for coming on to the Metal Forge. Uh, looking forward to the new dual release and everything else you all put out. Before we go, what do you want me to play? Uh, well, I think Heavy Metal Adventure would be a, a cool one. I think it kind of encapsulates uh, a lot of uh, what we're doing right now. Yeah. So I think all it's right. a well, thing to do. Here we go on one heavy metal adventure.
How to Vote is a tool created by Democracy Works. It breaks down the options your state offers for casting a ballot, empowering you to decide when and where to vote. Because voting isn't always about going to the polls on Election Day anymore. Options like early voting, mail-in voting, and ballot drop boxes are more available to voters these days and growing in popularity. Democracy works best when we all vote, but misinformation and confusion about election procedures have resulted in low voter turnout. How to Vote is a tool created by Democracy Works, and it takes the guesswork out of the voting process. Some of the things you can do with How to Vote is sign up for your election reminders, see what's on your ballot, get step-by-step assistance in requesting your mail-in ballot, check for voter registration status, Find your polling site and make sure you have the appropriate identification. Decide when and where you'll vote this year at howto.vote. Musicians rejoice. Confused with all the modern and technical pedal board selections? Look no further. Kentucky Hot Brown Pedal Boards offer their homemade wooden and custom pedal boards for guitarists and bassists alike. Established in 2013, KYHBPB has helped support not only the local Louisville scene, but a large array of big and small players from across the entire country. More info can be found at KentuckyPedalBoards.com. Are you registered to vote? Headcount is a nonpartisan organization that works with the music and entertainment industry to get our fans to vote. That also allows you to update or check your voter registration status. Go to headcount.org where you'll find all the information you need to be ready for election day. At Headcount, you also can check your registration status. Millions of people purge their voter rolls every year. Everyone should check their status every year. The deadline to register to vote in some states is as early as October the 4th, so you want to check it before then. You can also request an absentee ballot, get early info on voting, and find your polling location. Or see what's on your ballot. Register to vote today at headcount.org.